0: period of the Lord.
1: anticipate God's movement I almost love like the posture of coming before Jesus and saying here I am I'm listening what do you want to tell me this morning because he's here and he's moving we believe that in the presence of God there's freedom and so we have freedom to worship so I want you to do one thing for me this morning I want you to look to your left look to your right give somebody a smile give them a high five tell them that you're glad you're here Also, I'm going to need you to scooch, scooch to the middle. You're awesome, thanks. without hope, with no place to Let's offer this up together, here, here am I,
0: here am I, I. all of me, all of me, take my off oh.
1: Encourage you with this scripture. Let me read it over you. It says, God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. Join with me in here. Ready? This new life is starting right now. And it is wetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. I love how Eugene Peterson, in the message, she words that. Energetic in goodness. And where does that flow from? It flows from freedom. And where does freedom flow from? It it flows from surrender. From surrender. That's where true freedom lies. And in in that scripture, it talks about how we no longer have to look back on these old ways. There's a new way. And from that new way, energetic goodness flows. Man, can we embody that this morning? Let's continue to do with your song. All oh, things that passed away, Your love is the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we thought. Things that we thought were dead are breathing in, in
0: life again. Oh, you caused your sun to shine on oh, darkest
1: nights.
2: We this high and holy and sovereign God. Oh Lord, it's absurd for us to pray that we are exalting you when you are already raised up. And yet you invite us to do so. So we acknowledge that we exalt you by simply making ourselves low. By coming up under the God who is already high and holy and lifted up. When we sing that, we are simply saying, Lord, we see the truth. You're God and we are not. And it is our joy to bow the heart and the mind and the life to you. We thank you that when we do so, you capture us up into that glory because you are generous and good as well as glorious. You share the joy of being free in that truth. Yes, we exalt you by coming up under your leadership once again. And Lord, because you're so good, we ask you to do more still. Would you open up your word and open up our hearts and our minds that we might come up under your leadership more still. And we do say it one more time. Jesus, we love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. My, my, a choir Jared in front of me and a choir behind me this morning. This sound is so good. It's so good to have you here. If you are a teacher, an administrator, if you're a coach, if you're a student who went back to school, if you're a family who started the school routine again, you've got to know that we have prayed for you this week. We do love Uh, partnering with you. And if you are in education, uh, we're grateful to be uh, part of your church and grateful for what you do in our community. I hope it was a good start for you this weekend. Hey, I have a weakness for stories about the average Joe who does the above-average kind of thing. And so when I hear about a single mom who's an unpublished author and she writes a fantasy novel... And all of a sudden, Harry Potter becomes not just a household name, but a worldwide household name. I'm just a sucker for stories like that. I love the way the common guy or gal can do the uncommon thing. In fact, I think it tells you something about me. I am a card-carrying member of the Chronically Average Club. And uh, I think it's the reason I love my local church so much. Because look around. Have you ever seen such a room filled with average in all your life? I mean, look to your left or your right. In fact, don't go there if you think it's below average. Just ignore that eyesight. Look in front or back then. This is a room filled up with average, and that is wonderfully freeing news. That means we don't have to come here and posture And pose and make ourselves something to be accepted means you don't actually have to be spectacular to be welcome. You fit in the same way a guy like me fits. And that might be why I'm drawn to stories of two average Joes in the Old Testament. Their names are Bezalel and Oholiab. Oh, you've never heard of them? That's okay, they're used to it. Their names are only mentioned one time in the Old Testament, connected to one scene, back in the book of Exodus, tied to the building of the tabernacle. And to get a feel for their story, you have to see the larger story around these two men. And by the way, hint, that's a secret to the average Joe living in an above-average kind of way. They always look for the larger story going on around them. And they tie into the bigger story God is doing. And in this situation... The nation of Israel has been three months into their journey out of Egypt, which means that in 90 days, God has delivered them from slavery. He has parted the Red Sea. They've defeated the Amalekites, and now they are camped at the base of Mount Sinai. At the base of Mount Sinai, the people are so grateful for their freedom, as we sing about this morning, that they pledge their allegiance, or to use Jared's phrase this morning, they find their joy in surrender. And they commit to God that they will follow his ways completely. So God then invites Moses, their leader, to the top of Mount Sinai for the purpose of receiving the law. We know it as the Ten Commandments. That would be the ways they would live out their allegiance to God. And while Moses is up top on that mountain, he begins to hear not just God's law, but this incredibly gracious invitation. It's news that's so spectacular, it must have short circuited uh, Moses' breakers in his mind. God would choose to do something he has not done since the time of Adam before the fall of mankind into sin. He says, I will come and dwell among you. In other words, I'm moving into your neighborhood to have that kind of partnership with you. And he was going to do it through a tent called the tabernacle. We pick up the story in Exodus 25, verse 8. The passage reads, God saying, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. I'm going to neighbor with you, he says. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Can you imagine Moses' excitement? He cannot wait to get down the mountain to say, I'm not just bringing you Ten Commandments, I'm bringing you a promise that God will walk with us and talk with us every step of the way. But because this tabernacle is a uniquely special house, in other words, when God moves into your neighborhood, his house is different than the rest of our houses, the time to took to detail out That kind of description of the tabernacle took 40 days. And in that 40 days, the people at the base of the mountain start to worry. What's happened to their leader, Moses? Worse yet, has this delay meant that God has abandoned us? And so, to comfort themselves, they make an idol. Don't judge them. We do it the same way. Ours may not be golden calves. But to comfort ourselves, when we lose sight of who God is and what he's doing in our lives, we slip into idolatry. And so they make an idol. Moses comes down from the mountain. He sees what they've done. He slams the tablets down and shatters them, disciplines the people, and God says that Israel will continue on to the promised land, but he is withdrawing his offer of a tabernacle. He will dwell with them no more. Moses panics. And we get his favorite prayer, or his famous prayer. If you do not go with us, don't lead us from here. God forgives, reinstitutes the promise to dwell with them, and the journey continues. Why is it so critical we understand the backstory of Bezalel and Ohaliah before we look at their story? Because the backdrop of their story is called Grace. It's God's incredible forgiveness of sin as well as his indwelling promise to live with them, even though they be a rebellious people. And if that story sounds familiar, it's because it is. We too have God who's chosen to dwell with us in grace, forgiving our sins and persisting with us. We live a common life against a backdrop of an uncommon grace. In fact, Exodus 25 verse 8 is quoted again in the New Testament. And there it's quoted tying to the fact that God is not moving into a physical building called a physical tabernacle, but the tabernacle is now his people called the church. You and I experience the same empowering presence of Christ, the same empowering presence of Yahweh, same way the Israelites did in the book of Exodus. And today, God is choosing to use average men and women in this incredible work of grace, just as he did with Bezalel and Ohaliah back in the book of Exodus. And so now let's just open up their story and see if we can get a lesson out of their lives and how we might participate with God. Exodus chapter 35, verse 30. The story continues after a detailed description of the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he's filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Ohaliab, you see the teammates there? Ministry's never solo. Ohaliab, the son of Ahizamac, the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work. So two men are plucked out of obscurity to do something that they were uniquely gifted to do. And you notice the text says, see, I've called by name uh, Bezalel, o -O Folks, this is not the first time God has called someone by name to join his work. And it certainly is not the last. And every person here who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and he has become the savior of their life and the Lord or the leader of their life, you too have been called by name. God has said I've set a place for you around my table and I have adopted you and I'm allowing you to participate in the family business. You get to join what I'm doing. It's this incredible privilege of grace. But I want you to notice that Bezalel and Oholiab have been designated by both their background and their experience. I mean you clearly see their background. It says they're from the family of or of the tribe of And I'm well aware that that is an ancient way of designating a specific person. It is, but don't rush by the obvious. It means that God knows their backstory. He understands their family background. And it reminds us that that has not been lost on God. And not only that, their experiences have not been lost on God. And women, these were experienced craftsmen already. They were chosen because they were already skilled. They were good at their job. They were good at their trade. Where did they learn that trade? Did they get the privilege of a four-year degree at the University of Egypt? No. They got that experience through Egyptian slavery under Pharaoh's harsh whip, telling me that God redeems even the miserable experiences of our past. Our whole past is used by God to do what he wants to do. God takes these two craftsmen and he empowers them for an even greater work. But we need to see here that we too have a background and a set of experiences and God is working in accordance with that. He's redeeming your past. He's redeeming and using your family background, your work experiences, the skill sets you've acquired. He is even redeeming the most painful part of your life, maybe the most shameful part of your life, the thing you'd rather forget and move on from. God is saying, oh no, in my economy I lose nothing, and it is all for my good and my glory. He uses everything for a purpose. Not just that. We see in Bezalel and Oholiab's story, uh, they come with a set of spiritual gifts that have been added to that background and experience. Verse 31, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Yes, Bezalel and Ohaliab were people or men with with natural talents, but notice here, God takes those natural talents and he infuses them with a supernatural power, a supernatural gifting that allows this to not just be good work, but allows it to be God-glorifying work. So both the work we do and the ability in which we do the work, both of those are God-given gifts. So the assignment you head into and the power to do the assignment, both is grace. We're calling this little mini-series, Give Your Life Away. Really, it's just a stewardship series. We're talking here about what it means to steward the things that God has put in our lives. And, and my family knows that the word steward is one of the most motivating, the most powerful words in the Christian life for me personally. There's just something about it to know that the things that I call precious, and I have precious things like you have precious things. Uh, my time, that's precious to me. Um, gifts or talents, those things are important to me. Uh, treasure, that's in possessions, those are important relationships, those are precious to me. None of those are mine. I clenched my fist on none of those would leave them open-handed. God put those into my life and into your life for us to manage. My good buddy Charles Greathouse likes to say, the life, the Christian life is simply assets under management. That's why I'm glad Charles is my son's cell group leader because that's the kind of vision of life I want discipled into my household. To put it another way, God is in the supply business. You and I, we're simply in distribution. Let's not forget our roles and let's enjoy the joy of that. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then the Holy Spirit actually lives in you. That's the tabernacle. He's neighbored or dwells in you. And with the Holy Spirit comes his power. And with his power comes a specific spiritual gift that he has deposited in your lives. So let's talk a little bit more about spiritual gifts. Because the New Testament brings up spiritual gifts four different times. You can kind of remember it with two fours and two twelves. So 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians chapter 4. But the ones that get more specific are the two twelves. Let's look at the first one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. It tells us that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good here we clearly see what Paul is saying is, men and women, God is at work in and through his church, the new tabernacle. How is he at work? Well, he's chosen to do that by gifting believers with a spiritual gift. And he says here, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. My hunch is you have more than one. Why do you have that spiritual gift? Punchline in verse 7. For the good of others, which means... You matter here. You matter among us. For you have been empowered and gifted by the Spirit of God that a purpose that we need. Look at the second 12, Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 tells us, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it gener- uh, diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. So we may all be average, but we're not the same. In fact, verse 6 says we have different gifts in According to the grace or the gift of God that's been given to us, our gifts are different on purpose, the text says, but also for a purpose. So, what's the purpose? Well, the whole rest of the passage said the purpose, so that we would use that specific gift in the way that it was designed to be used. So, if you have the gift of prophecy, which is a truth telling, then prophesy. If you have the gift of teaching, teach. If you have the gift of mercy, show mercy. If you have the gift of giving, give it generously. Leadership, lead. Serving, serve. I guess you could summarize it this way. If you have a noun, turn it into a verb. And that's how God gets his work done in and through the church. He puts a deposit into us that gets deployed for the good of all tells me that the best economic news is this. The unemployment rate in every single local church is zero. Zero. We have the grace of joining God in in what he wants to do. And he wants to use us in what he's given us. In fact, the spiritual gift passages assume that as Christians, we're living as part of this connected community called the church. Spiritual gifts are God's way of empowering an individual me so that the church could become a a better, more full and healthy we. That's the beauty. Which means you not only need this community of faith, this community of faith needs you. We were all built to contribute. Hey, you are looking at a a value shopper, and I'm proud of it. In fact, in my small group, my men's group, my good friends tease me mercifully on this. They even will joke after they find out Lisa and I went for an anniversary dinner, Mark, did you use a coupon? I still need to get a better group. If you have a small group, let me know. I'd like to leave mine. (laughs) They know that I'm a stickler for getting the most value for the least cost. In fact, I heard one of my... Buddies in my small group say, if you ever want to see Mark cry, tell him he paid full price. Still open for groups. In fact, I was EDLP before Walmart ever moved to our hometown. Thank you for your gift to me. And you know what? In some ways, that approach has served my financial life well. But it doesn't just erode my spiritual life. It's lethal to it. You know, megachurches are famous for attracting value shoppers, people who want the most spiritual value for the least personal cost. And yet this approach to church always backfires for the individual. Here's why. I need my local church to love me and my family enough to call us to give away our lives to the bigger purpose that God has created us for. Lord knows that my worst day has always started and ends with the phrase, me, mine, and I. And when I can tie into he and him and ours or them, life gets bigger and more freeing and more fabulous. I never want to be part of a church that doesn't call me to that direction. Because as Hunter House said last week when he kicked off our series and that precious promise of Jesus, according to Jesus Christ, our leader, if we give our life away, it's how we find the good life, the God life, the bigger life. Maybe right now you might be thinking, okay, this is when the pastor lowers the boom and tells us we all need to step up and sacrifice more. May it never be, ever. Because there's only one sacrifice that we will celebrate and honor and point to here as the church of Jesus Christ. And it's that, represented by that cross right here. The church has made, has only one sacrifice to claim and hold on to. God paying for our, the price for our sin by the death of his son and his resurrection. Anything else that we do in response to that is never a sacrifice. It's always an investment. And you know the definition of an investment. You give up a little to gain a lot, at least a good investment. And serving is a great investment. It's a way we give our life away in order to receive more and experience at least more of the life of God flowing through us. What do you do if you don't even know what your spiritual gift is or where to start? And that's what I'd say is you just jump into the joy of discovery because we're all learners here. In fact, you'll notice that as you jump into serving somewhere, you'll start to discover your gift. I know you have a gift, quite likely more than one because that's a God-given truth that we saw in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Now, what that is and how to use that is part of the discovery process. And yes, there are some, in modern age, some assessments that help, and maybe some of you have taken spiritual gift assessments. Uh, Those can be helpful. I applaud those. We have one on our own website. You could go to our website, put spiritual gift assessment in the search bar, and it'll pull it up. But let me tell you, Long before we developed spiritual gift assessments, the church was using their spiritual gifts. It's how the gospel got from Jerusalem to northwest Arkansas. That's a long way. How did they find their gift? On the job training. See, your spiritual gift, discovering it and deploying it is more like on the job training at work more than it is a college degree before you go to work. Does that make sense? So, you jump in and you serve somewhere, and in the early church, looked at someone and said, Wow, you're really good at that. Or maybe they said, You know, I've seen better. I don't know. What would be a gentle way a Christian might help you redirect, right? The point is, it doesn't matter. You're not trapped or pigeonholed in one thing, and you actually already fit here. You don't have to candidate get in in the joy of discovering, and you discover by deploying, and as you deploy, you find it's really true. It's easier to steer a moving car than a parked car, and you start to find that thing moving and developing even further. In fact, the process is more cyclical than linear. It actually leads to rediscovering your gift, and then redeploying it, and then redeveloping it, and the thrill of greater kingdom life, which is why if you've been here for any length of time you know that some of our most vibrant members in our body is our legacy ministry. They live with a joy and a grace that I envy. And when a couple of years from now, I think I'm going to candidate to be in that group, I'll finally hit the age threshold for there. I envy them because I see that they've done a whole life of being in this cycle of discovering their gift and deploying it and developing it and seeing it refined and discovered and and all of a sudden you see that they have found the thing that God gets much glory from in their lives. We get the same joy of that same process. So you see in Bezalel and Oholiab's life there is a background. They come from a place and had a skill set and that was hard lived and hard earned. There's also a spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit of God empowered them from a pur- for a purpose. But the third thing we see in their story is in chapter 36, verse 2. It says, And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. Listen, when your heart stirs you to action, the modern-day word for that is passion. They had a passion for the work. And so you ask the question, what interests you? What do you find yourself leaning into more? What, what maybe actually causes you to tear up? Or maybe if that's not your temperament type, maybe just even kind of steal up. That might be the area of passion the Lord has placed you. And our passion often shows us the arena of service that God wants to use us, the place where our gift can play out best. I think it looks most powerful, when, like we see in Bezalel and Oholiab's life, when the background and your spiritual gift and your passion come to some kind of convergence, almost like this traditional Venn diagram. And it's powerful because in that place, there can even be a sweet spot where all three come together. Now, you know in every Venn diagram, not everything is a sweet spot. Sometimes you're doing something because you simply have a background for it, and you can help. Sometimes it's you're gifted in it, and you can help. Sometimes it's your passion, and you're only so, so good at it, but they're glad you're there. And sometimes all three come together at a unique kind of God-glorifying sweet spot. This is where service becomes life-giving and thrilling and fulfilling. It's rare, life-giving place of service. By the way, thank the Lord we don't start by looking at the, for the sweet spot. We just get in and discover and develop and, and deploy that gift. But over time, God leads things together where you see a convergence happen that is a God-glorifying place of service. We rarely, if ever, talk about numbers here. But this one number is one we pray for all the time. Many of you represent this number, 1,591. It's the number of spiritual leaders choosing to serve here. We love you. We dream about you. We pray for you. We actually think you're a way bigger deal than you do. I love the men and women. I actually think that one of the reasons you can feel a spirit of joy here on, when we gather on Sunday mornings is because such a large number of us have said we're going to steward our talent. We're going to jump into a place of service through our gift. Listen, that's happening first thing in the morning. Like Even in the first service, many of you served first hour. On Monday morning, are your coworkers as happy As the people you just served with last hour? No. You should see my coworkers. No. But somehow there's a joy factor that goes up. Why? These people have joined the larger work of God with the gift God has put in their lives. I believe that kind of joy brings God a ton of glory. You know, it hit me on Thursday and I inserted this slide last minute. Uh, Last fall, we were teaching through the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians 4, which is that other passage on spiritual gifts, came up, and I put the number 1,095 on the screen. That was the spiritual leaders among us serving. Now, it is really dangerous to do math in public, but that tells me that 496 people have jumped into the joy of joining God in what He wants to do. That's the dream, and we just keep inching towards that because God wants to share that much of his goodness in and through us. There is nothing more thrilling than being the common guy or the common gal who is used of God in an uncommon way. In fact, I think you're going to hear the joy in these average young women's lives as God set them apart for an above-average kind of service. Take a look at the screen.
3: My name is Emily M. Burrow. I have been a part of fellowship since I was a little kid, like baby, baby. Um, And I started with special needs and disabilities about a year and a half ago. And it really just started with me and my mom. We were bored in the airport and we were thinking, hey, like how can we get plugged in? and she told me that there was this opportunity and we said hey why not let's just do it
4: my name is Ashlyn Wilson Um, I've been at fellowship since I was three or four years old Um, I started serving about five years ago when I was an eighth grader it was my friend's idea she was just like hey do you want to come serve with me this Sunday and I said sure and here I am
3: five years later still going Uh, my name is Jessie Paulette I have been at fellowship for six years now um, and I started working with kids with special needs and disabilities three years ago, and I got plugged into FSM, and they just talked about, like, working with kids with special needs and disabilities, and I thought it was a really cool program, and I ended up just like running into one of the leaders at like a, one of my brother's functions, and so I was like, oh, I'll just talk to her and get plugged in. And I loved it ever since, and just getting to work with different kids has been super cool. I work with the early childhood, and um, They, every Sunday there's like the playtime, worship, color, activity, it's very structured. But working with Elias, I've learned that it's, um, it looks different every Sunday usually. Sometimes we are able to participate in things, sometimes we aren't, but we usually learn how to make it work in our own way. We want them to know Jesus and so we get to teach it in a different way so that they can understand it. And so every Sunday looks different. We may be sitting on the floor like brushing each other's hair or we could be like running down the hallways or whatever. Um, But it's just sweet to build a connection with them every Sunday, even though every Sunday looks different. It really, honestly, if you can play with kids, that's all you need to do to serve here. It's a lot of, I would say every Sunday, I don't come and I work, I just come and I have fun. I get to sit down and do the activities and just help them with coloring and help them with dancing. It's really not work. It's a lot more fun than it is work. I think mean, one of my
4: favorite memories actually happened when I wasn't there. He, I was either out of town or sick or something, and my buddy drew a little picture of him and me standing together, and it said, I love you on it. <laughs> and his, he drew himself with his eyes looking up at mine, and I think that was just like, an aha moment for me, being like, oh, these kids are watching me, like, they're seeing how I approach the Lord, how I interact with people, and, you know, it's really, really sweet to see, like, I am having an impact on these kids. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but now I'm going to college to become an elementary special ed teacher, you know, God had that plan for me when he brought this opportunity to me, even though I had no idea what was coming. Um, so yeah, I would just say if you're looking to serve, like, God knows he's got a plan for you. Um, and this might just be a big part of it.
2: All three of those servant leaders head off to college probably started this week. Can't you, I cannot wait to see what God does with them on their journey as they continue with that kind of vision towards God-glorifying other-centered service. But I asked Perry Ortiz if she would join me for the last couple of minutes. Uh, Perry is one of our residents, serves with our special needs disability ministry. If you don't know what our residency is, that means a handful of uh, recent college grads will come on our, through our residency program and give 20 hours a week of service and learning, and we provide housing for them. And then they work part-time in the community to earn the rest of their livelihood while hoping they get spiritually developed for the next chapter of their lives. And Perry has actually been one where we went to her, because of the story you'll you'll hear in just a second, and said, would you do your part-time work with us in our special needs and disability ministry? Now, you need to know right now that I didn't ask Perry up here because we need to do an ad or a promo for special needs and disability ministry. I I did it because you'll hear her story And it represents exactly how God takes a background and takes your spiritual gifts and then he takes your passion and he brings those together for God glorifying service. And so Perry, take us a little bit through your story and how God called you towards this kind of ministry and service.
5: Yeah, of course, hey guys. Um, So a little bit of background about me. I'm originally from Houston, Texas, um, and so grew up there, and then came to the U of A for school. Um, So just kind of about my family, which is a big part of background, is I'm a family of five. I'm the youngest out of three kids, and so it's me as the youngest, my sister Pilar is above me, and then my brother Slade is the oldest. What's really sweet is my sister Pilar has Down syndrome. So I say I basically have known special needs since The minute I took my first breath, um, I've known it and I've gotten to live it. So that's just, it's been super empowering to have that, but it's also come with its own struggles. And I grew up questioning the Lord, asking why me, why my family, why is life like this and really didn't understand what the Lord had for me in the future. Um, And so that's something I struggled with, but luckily, like a lot of kids, um, younger kids, we went to camp. And I love camp. Um, Camp is amazing. It was a Christian camp for people with special needs. So I got to go alongside my sister and I got to learn about how much Jesus loved me. That's where I found the Lord. Um, I got to learn about how to love people with special needs, how the Lord loves people with special needs, And I remember walking away from camp and looking at my sister and just being like so overwhelmed by the fact that she is my sister and I get to love her the way that Christ loves her too. Um, And so that's where the passion came came into play, and I just learned. I want to do this, and so I came here to the U of A to study special education. So just finished that up here in May, jumped on with our residency team to do ministry here, and just have been thrown in with this ministry, and I've loved every single minute of it.
2: Yeah, and I can see that in you. In fact, I told Terry, I've never, or Perry, I've never seen her spiritual gift assessment. Don't care to. <laughs> All I know is I can spot somebody with a gift of encouragement, a gift of teaching, and a gift of leadership. And I've seen that in you as you've uh, served in that ministry and led a team of, I think, 55 mm-hmm. people to serve in that ministry. And you start to see this convergence. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it just kind of becomes contagious around you. Uh, you become like a walking poster child for how <laughs> good it is to get in on what God wants to do in and through your life, and you're not even trying to do that. And that's the beauty of it. Um, When you think of yours and Brittany Cotter's vision and dream of what our special need and disability ministry could be uh, and is, what comes to your mind?
5: So one of the big things I think about is kind of our big statement we have for our ministry is everyone's invited to hear the gospel. And that's something I see every single Sunday here. So it's been a blessing since Bentonville has launched. We have gathered 23 new families that have special needs children, and it's not just these kids with special needs we're helping. We're helping siblings, we're helping parents, we're helping them find community. We're even starting a mom's book study of what it looks like to be a mom with a child with special needs. We're providing almost a niche opportunity for people to be able to find God in this specific way. Um, But we also get to see it every Sunday, which is so awesome. Today, fun fact, crazy sock day. I'm wearing chicken socks, um, because our student class, who's over here during 10.30, they like to wear crazy socks. And we get to come together. There's a community. They're singing songs in there. Our adult class during first service is sitting in a community group talking about where did they see the Lord during the week, and they're growing together. Mm -hmm. You can see it in our preschool classrooms where kids are running around, and you see volunteers running after them going, oh, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, as they're (laughs) running around and doing all the things. And Then you're seeing it in our elementary school worship where our friends that are nonverbal are sitting there and, you know, they can't always worship out loud, but you can see it in their eyes and you can tell that they know that the Lord loves them and they love the Lord. And so those are just very small but mighty ways. And I think that's the best thing about our ministry is it's so small, but the Lord is glorified so big in all of it.
2: Yeah, you called it a hidden gem in, the, in our body, and I believe it is. Uh, in the first service, you said that, mm-hmm. and I really do believe it is. And By the way, uh, can you catch the joy? You're, you're catching it too. It's not just because I'm standing close to her. Do you see the fact that some of this happens when you live for something bigger? You're caught up in that, and there's the joy of saying, I get to join God. That's grace, and he uses average folks like us, and, uncommon and above average kinds of ways because that's who he is. And we say this to you not because we're going to ask you to sign up for something. huh? In fact, I'll just tell you on the front end, if you wanted to sign up for special needs and disability ministry, we'd have to put you on a waiting list, okay? So we don't need you, air quotes, we always need you. Um, <laughs> but we say this because we wanted you to just see a little vision of how God wants to use ordinary people in extraordinary kinds of ways, and that's the beauty of stewarding our talents in service. So let me pray that kind of prayer over all of us. Lord Jesus, you are that good to make us part of your body, to clean us and free us from sin, to have a future for us that is more glorious than our eye can see and our ear can hear. Lord, we thank you for that grace. But in the meantime, you continue to give us the grace of wanting to use us in your church, who is your bride. And she is special to you. Thank you that we get a chance to be part of that. We love you.
1: Isabel, stand with me. together a confession Speak that truth into our hearts this morning. We are open. We invite it in. That looks like discipline or, or whatever it is. Jesus, speak to us as we leave this place and protect us from this just being a song. Would you protect us from that? Let us not just sing words. Can we walk out of here with a with a life song of surrender filled with freedom? Do it in our hearts, Jesus. We love you.
6: Amen. Amen. Y'all take a seat for, for just a minute. <clears throat> I don't want to move quickly past this moment because I don't want to take for granted the times that we get to, to worship together. This was one of those weekends for me and for our family where just Pure exhaustion, not necessarily rest coming in, and I sat here during the first service just just weeping multiple times at the fact that we get to worship as the body of Christ, we get to worship our risen Savior together, so um, I pray that you have been encouraged this morning as well, Um, but even if not, thank you for being here just to worship alongside us and to encourage us. Uh, we are a cell celebration church. Uh, we gather and we scatter. I want to give you two quick opportunities on how to connect in those ways. The first is a gathering. Uh, we have our worship arts collective this Thursday evening at 6:30. It'll be right out in the foyer. And this is a gathering for any volunteers, current volunteers. Uh, who work in uh, worship ministry on Sunday mornings. And so that could be elementary, that could be in here, that could be FSM. It's not just if you currently volunteer, but if you'd like just to learn about ways that God could use you um, and you're interested, we wanna invite you. So this is musicians, this is choir, this is tech, uh, this is ushers, uh, communion team, prayer team, baptisms, visual arts, spoken word, beatboxing, whatever you would see as an offering of worship uh, on these Sunday mornings, we're going to invite you to be a part of that. It's going to be led by our staff team and uh, the worship shepherd, so you just get to be off for the evening. It'll be a night of vision and connection, story and song and prayer and encouragement. If you do have kids, we want to make this as easy as possible. So there is child care, but we need you uh, to register by tomorrow night using this beautiful QR code that we have here. You know, when we showed that QR video last week, I was expecting Thousands of texts of like, hey, send me that link. It was so impactful. I got one. It was from my dad, so I appreciate him. (laughs) But we do value these. Uh, We want you to use it. Please register by tomorrow if you plan on bringing kids. And even if you're just looking for an evening to rest um, and to be a part of what God's doing, just come. Come on Thursday night. The scatter portion of our ministry is our small group group. Uh, ministry. It's the DNA of who we are. We are a church of small groups, and many of them will launch here over the next two weeks. And I want to say this pretty bluntly. If you're not experiencing a small group in some way, community group, men's group, women's group, anything like that, you're missing out on the fullness of the experience of being part of the body of Christ. There's something that happens when we go into smaller groups to open God's Word, to pray for each other, to encourage each other. And so, Uh, We have a couple of ways you can can connect. You can talk to um, any of our team out at the booth. Hopefully, you were given one of these sheets of paper when you came in as well, and it's got a few different options on how you connect. There will be those on your way out. Uh, One of the ways, uh, the best ways, especially if you're new, is through Discover. It launches in two weeks. It's an eight-week just kind of taste of small group experience and uh, answering some questions of who we are here at Fellowship. We would love to invite you to be part of that. So you can find the sheet or talk to someone in the foyer. Uh, Would you stand with me as I pray us uh, out this evening or this morning? And I do want to encourage you, if you would like specific prayer with um, a couple who will value uh, just the opportunity to be able to pray with you, we've got the grosses over here, um, and they would love to pray with you after the service. But uh, let me pray. Lord, I want to just begin with the same prayer that I begin my mornings with, which is, God, would you make us aware of where you're moving and the ways in which you're already working as you have gone uh, before us. Would you give us the eyes to see people and opportunities the way that you see them? Um, As we just sang, Lord, we give you our hearts. Um, We offer them to you and ask that you would use those in ways we could never imagine. As we read, we wanna be energetic in goodness. And the ways that we take the the transformation you've done in our hearts and we let that overflow into the world and community around us. God, would you change us and change our community even this week, even today. We offer this morning to you um, as an offering of worship to you, Jesus. And we pray it in your name, amen. We'll see y'all next week.